Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. In Genesis 17, Genesis chapter 17, reading from verse number 1, the Bible tells us, said, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. The verses of scripture that we've read, you see, number one, a visitation of God unto Abraham after about 13 years of silence. The visitation of the Almighty God, the Bible says that when Abraham was about 99 years old, the Lord appeared unto Abraham. The last time we read about the visitation of the Almighty God was when Abraham was about to go unto his servant, Hagar, and that was when he was 86 years old. There was silence between the birth of Ishmael and this particular visitation 13 years after. The next thing we saw was the Lord establishing the condition for a covenant relationship with Abraham. The Lord was saying unto Abraham, he said, walk with me and be blameless. In other words, if you are going to enjoy and have access to what the portion that I have in store for you, I need you to understand that there is a condition attached to it and there is the condition of the covenant. Number three, we see that the Lord was established in a relationship, a covenant relationship with Abraham. He said that I will make my covenant between me and you and you will multiply exceedingly. In other words, the Lord was saying, number one, I have been silent, now I'm visiting you. But the terms of this visitation is that you must walk with me perfectly, you must walk with me blamelessly. I'm going to make a covenant with you, and that covenant means that you are going to be multiplied exceedingly. We see the outline of that particular covenant of relationship. The Lord is saying, I'm not calling you to walk with me for nothing. I'm not asking you to form a relationship with me just because I don't have anything else to do. I'm not calling you so that you will come and there will be no benefit. Say, there is a benefit to this relationship that I'm calling you onto. And that benefit is that I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And finally, we see, after that particular promise was made, the Lord wanted to make sure there was a memorial, something to remember that particular encounter, something to remember that visitation. The Lord now put a seal upon that particular covenant relationship. The Lord said, your name shall no longer be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham. 
For I have made you a father of many nations. So the Lord sealed that particular visitation. The Lord sealed that particular covenant relationship. The renewal of that relationship that was started that day. The Lord sealed it by changing the name of Abraham from Abraham to Abraham. All this was just a reaffirmation of what the Lord has already been telling Abraham from the time we called him in Genesis chapter 12. When he asked him to leave his father's house and walk with him to a land that he was going to show him. And by the time you get to chapter 18... God now began the process of fulfilling that same promise that he started. In Genesis 18, reading from verse number 10, the Bible said, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. In other words, although the promise appeared outrageous, Although the promise appeared as if it was never going to come to pass. Although it was taking so long for it to happen, the Bible tells us that God restated what he said. Because the word of God says that every word that comes out of his word will not return unto him void. Whatever he has pronounced, he will make it happen. It may appear to be a long time in coming, but he will do it. And the Bible makes us to understand in verse number 10. The Bible says, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And the Bible records that when Sarah heard this particular word, the Bible said that Sarah laughed. Because she knew her body was physically and biologically was not going to be able to bear a child. And so she laughed about the idea of having children at her old age. But by the time you get to Genesis 21, reading from verse number 1, the Bible told us, And the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he has spoken. In other words, the word of the Almighty God that was released from the very beginning. The Bible said that the Lord did it as he said it, and he did it as he has spoken. Unto Sarah. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God has spoken to him. The Lord said, if the Bible tells us in verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time which God has spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. So you see, there was a progression in the fulfillment of the promise of God. There was a progression in the delivery of Abraham's divine portion. It all started with a visitation. It followed with a promise. And then there was a period of waiting. And then fulfillment of the promise took place. So you see a visitation, the promise, a waiting, and a fulfillment. And this story, many of us are familiar with it. Many of us know the story. If you look at the process map, the process that followed, you will notice that along the way to the fulfillment of the promise of God in the life of Abraham, there was a period of long waiting. There was a period of waiting. And the question that comes to mind is that what was Abraham doing in that particular period of waiting? Because the Lord Almighty gave a visitation. The Lord promised him something. And then there was a 25 years long waiting period between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And the question is, what was Abraham doing? Because one thing you must understand is that the fact that God says something today, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen the next day. The Bible says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a single day. So when the Lord gives us a promise, we must be able to understand that there is a period, a waiting period between the time that God promises and the time that God delivers. The promise of the Messiah came. The promise of the Holy Spirit came. And all those took a while. 
Look at the time that Isaiah saw the promise of the Messiah. And look at how long it took for the promise to come to pass. Look at the time that Joel saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And look at how long it took for it to happen on the day of Pentecost. What I'm saying is that there is a waiting period between the time of promise and the time of fulfillment. And for Abraham, 25 long years went by. But the question is, what was Abraham doing within that 25 years? And one of the things I want you to understand is that the Bible never gives us that kind of details. It didn't give us as usual. The Bible did not tell us what Abraham was doing. But if you begin to read in the New Testament, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in the letter of Paul to the Roman church, Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 verse 19, it said, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since it was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So what was Abraham doing? Number one, you will notice that while Abraham waited for the fulfillment of the promise of God for his life, the Bible told us that Abraham did not focus on the obvious. He did not focus on his own body. The Bible said that he refused to look at his physical body. He said not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He was not looking at himself. He was not looking at what was possible physically. He was not looking at the fact that he was already an old man. That his wife has stopped doing what women do to have children. She was not young anymore to be able to bear a child. The Bible says that he did not consider his own body already dead. So in the process of waiting, Abraham refused to focus on the obvious. And that is what you will find that as we pursue the fulfillment of the promise of God, you will notice that there are things that will tell you that it, it will never happen. There are things that will tell you that you are living in la-la land. There are things that will tell you that you are not being very realistic. That the promise of God is completely opposed to the reality of the God. The Bible told us that Abraham, while he was waiting for the promise of God, did not consider his own body already dead. Number two. While Abraham was waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of God, for the delivery of his own divine portion, Abraham did not waver in faith. Abraham did not doubt. Abraham did not entertain unbelief. Look at verse number 20 of Romans chapter 4. He said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. In other words, he was not doing one step forward and three steps backward. He wasn't saying, well, maybe God will do it. Maybe God will not do it. Maybe I didn't hear properly. Maybe I heard properly. I made a mistake. Oh God, what are you doing? Why don't you confirm it again? He wasn't going through all those things. The Bible says, number one, he refused to look at his own physical body. Number two, he refused to doubt the word of God. Number three, while Abraham was waiting to access the divine portion for his life, the Bible says that he was strong in faith. He kept holding on to the promise of the Almighty God. The Bible said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. He kept on building up his faith. He kept on remembering the things that God has done for him. He kept on remembering the faithfulness of the Almighty God. How God has taken him through the wilderness. How God has brought him to the place. How God has multiplied him. Delivered him from the hands of all the Egyptian Pharaoh. How the Lord God Almighty has saved him and brought him to where he was. He was strong in faith while he was waiting kept on reminding himself of the things that God has doing. But most importantly, when Abraham was waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of God, just like many of us are doing in this room, we've seen what God has promised us. And then we are looking and we are saying, what when will you do it? The Bible makes us to understand that just like Abraham waited, we are also in a waiting period. But most importantly, when Abraham was waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of God for his life, for the promised child to come, the Bible said that he was busy giving glory to God. Look at the last part of that Romans chapter 4 verse 20. 
The Bible says he did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, Abraham did not sit around complaining. Abraham did not sit around murmuring. Abraham did not sit around questioning the faithfulness of the Almighty God. Abraham was not hiding in his basement and giving excuses for not moving forward. The Bible says while he waited, he was busy praising God. He was busy glorifying God. He was busy looking at the things that God has said and say, I know you. If you can do X, Y, Z, I know you can still do this one. He was strong in faith, praising God. The Bible says he was praising God while he was doing all that. And the question that comes to mind is that why will a man be praising God when the promise has been lagging for 25 years? A man who is a hundred years old, there was no chance for him biologically to have a child. But the Bible says that he kept on praising God when the promise appeared impossible. I'm sure people were looking at him when he was praising God and they said, what is wrong with this old man? Whatever you are smoking, you better get off it because this thing ain't happening. 25 years you've tried to happen. You've been telling us about this promised child, but it's not happening. Why was Abraham praising God in his waiting season? Let me suggest to you that Abraham was praising the Almighty God because number one, that's in Romans chapter 4, verse 21 tells us, the Bible says that I'm being fully persuaded. That he who had promised was able to perform. So Abraham was praising God because he was fully persuaded. He was fully convinced that God will do what he said he will do. It's just like somebody promised you a big check. And what do you do? You are so excited about the reality of that particular check that you start ordering stuff. The same thing, this man was so convinced that God was going to do it. The guy was rejoicing. He was practically throwing party. He was telling the whole world, I know. That God is going to give me my Isaac. He was able to rejoice because he was fully persuaded. Number two, Abraham was praising God because he trusted and rested in the faithfulness of the Almighty God. The Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he should repent. Whatever he says he will do, he will do it. Abraham was convinced that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And that was why he continued to praise the Almighty God. But most importantly, Abraham was praising the Almighty God in that period of waiting because he understood that praise has a way of inviting God into your situation. That when you praise the Almighty God, God comes in into that circumstances. When you praise God, it opens the heavens over your life. When you praise God, God begins to do the things that you cannot do for yourself. Abraham understood that. And the man just kept praising God. And my brothers and sisters, if this is a year that will be what you want it to be. If you want it to be a prosperous, rich year, it will depend on what you do. If you just want it to be another so-so year, it will be like just the way you want it to be. But to make it a year where you will be able to access and to unlock your divine portion, you must understand that praise is required to bring in the presence of the Almighty God into your situation. In other words, Abraham was able to praise God while waiting for God to deliver his divine portion because he knew that God was able to do what God said he will do. Abraham has been walking with the Almighty God. He has seen God move on his behalf. He has seen God provided for him. He has seen God fight his battle. He has seen God enlarge his goal. He has seen God made him a very rich man. And because Abraham knew God, because he was sure that God was able to do what God said he would do, it was easy for him to just sing praise while waiting. And so you see, my brothers and sisters, the more you know God, 
the more you walk with him this year, the more you know that God is able to do what he said he will do, the easier it is for you to praise him when you are waiting. Praise becomes easy when we know the God that we are serving. But when we have difficulty recognizing God, when we have difficulty appreciating what he has done in the past and what he's doing right now, you find that the praise becomes very difficult. When you cannot see what God is doing, when you cannot understand what he's doing, when you refuse to appreciate what he has done because you think it's not big enough, what you find is that you will not be able to praise the almighty God. And that is why many Christians are stuck where they are right now. Because they have not taken the time to recognize what God is doing. They have not taken the time to be able to look at the situation and understand the thing that God is doing. And if you are going to unlock your divine portion this year, if you are going to move forward this year, you must learn to praise God even when you are waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. If you are going to unlock our divine portion, we must be willing to learn to praise God for who he is and for what he does. But the question is, what is this thing that we're talking about? What does it mean to praise God? What is this thing that we call praise? What is praise? Praise is a commendation bestowed on a person for his personal virtue or for the actions that that person has performed. Praise is when you give a commendation, when you give it to an individual based on that person's personal virtue because he's good, because he's righteous, because he's holy, or because of the things that that particular individual has done. Praise is an outward expression of the goodness of the Almighty God in our lives. To praise God is to declare who God is, is to declare what God has done in our life, to declare his doing and his actions in our life, to be thankful for his blessings. That's what praise is all about. So you see, praise is not just the too fast song that we are singing in church. It's not a too slow song either. It is not the thing that we do. It's not the mechanical motion that we go through in church. Praise is much more than that. Praise honors God because it recognizes the divine actions of God, the divine character of the Almighty God. Praise is recognizing and approaching God for who he is and for what he does. Praise, therefore, involves your action and your attitude. So it's not just you clapping your hand in church that you are praising God. It involves your action. It involves your attitude. Praise involves what we do and how we think. It involves what you are doing physically and how you are thinking. It is a decision of the will. You make up your mind to recognize what God has done and to begin to appreciate him and to thank him for what he has done in your life. Praise is a lifestyle, my brothers and sisters. And the question is, why must you praise God? We praise God because we are created to praise him. The Bible said, these people have I formed for myself that they shall declare my praise. Isaiah 43 verse 21. You are created to praise. Number two, we are commanded to praise. Many of us know this particular scripture. Psalm 150 verse 6, it says, Let everything that has bread praise the Lord. So we are commanded to praise. Number three, praise is pleasing to the Almighty God. Psalm 69 verse 30 tells us, I will praise the name of the Lord with a song and magnify him with thanksgiving. It will please the Lord better than ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. So praise is much more pleasing to the Almighty God than the things that you do, than the offering that you bring, than the thing that you place in front of Him. He said, I will praise the name of the Lord with a song and magnify Him with thanksgiving. And it will please the Lord better than ox and young bulls with horns and hoofs. Why is that? 
The reason is because praise is the thing that God cannot do by himself. It would be absurd for you to say, Oh, I praise you, Godwin. It looks funny if you do it to yourself. And that's why God doesn't praise himself. That's why he created you and me to praise him. Why must you praise? You praise God because God dwells in the praise of his people. Psalm 22 verse 3 tells us, He said, Thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praise of Israel. So God dwells in the praise of his people. That is why you praise him. Praise gives you access to the Almighty God. Many of you are familiar with it. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his court with praise and be thankful unto him and bless his name. Praise gives you access to the Almighty God. And praise has a way of changing our lives. Proverbs 27 verse 21 tells us, As a finding point of silver and a furnace of gold, so is a man to his praise. It changes you. It has a way of refining you. Praise has a way of changing your heart. It has a way of changing your mindset. It has a way of changing your perspective about your situation. It has a way of shifting your focus from ourselves to the Almighty God. Praise has a way of moving our attention from our problems to the solution that God offers. Praise has a way of making us to be able to look beyond our pain to the promise of the Almighty God. That's what praise does for us. And finally, number seven, we praise God because God begins to intervene in our lives and defeat the enemy for our sakes. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 20, we all know the story about Jehoshaphat. The Bible says, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushment against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. They would come against Judah, and they were smitten. There's a power that is made available in praise. That power that comes through praise, the secret behind it is that God inhabits the praise of his people. When you begin to praise God, the presence of the Almighty God comes in. And when the presence of the Almighty God comes into a situation, that situation can never, ever stand. The Bible says, why did the sea separate? Because the Almighty God showed up at the Red Sea. And the Bible says what? The sea had to pass. In other words, it's a consuming fire. And so when he comes into your situation and you invite him into your life, through praise, the presence of the Almighty God eliminates every other thing. And that was why Moses was insisting. Say, Lord, as we travel this wilderness, do not send us out without following us. Let your presence go with us. Because when your presence go with us, what you find is that things begin to happen. The enemy becomes defeated because the Lord's presence is with us. But unfortunately, when we refuse to praise the Almighty God, when we refuse to acknowledge what He has done in our life, or what He's capable of doing in our life, when praise is absent in the life of an individual, the presence of the Almighty God is absent. Number two, when there is no praise, the enemy is empowered. The Bible tells us when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. The enemy becomes empowered. When you refuse to praise the Almighty God, the enemy is happy. When you sit down and you say, Lord, why did you put me in this kind of situation? Why did you not answer my prayer? When you begin to complain and to question, what you will find is that the enemy is empowered. And he releases the power of destruction to consume those individuals. Number three, when there is no praise, when praise is absent in the life of an individual, complaining and murmuring becomes very easy. It is easy when you cannot recognize what God has done. It is easy when you refuse to acknowledge what God has done for you. It is easy for you to complain and to murmur when you think that what God has done for you is not enough. 
First Corinthians chapter 10 is a strong warning for believers to recognize the things that God is doing in their life. He said, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. They could not get into the promised land because of the fact that they were busy complaining, busy murmuring, and refusing to see what God has done in their lives. You have been traveling in the wilderness. God has been raining food upon you every day. God has been clothing you. He has made sure that the heat of the desert is not scourging you. And yet you keep complaining. And the Bible says that you should not murmur because those who murmured in the wilderness were consumed. When praise is absent, offense becomes easy. There are people who hold their fist upon the Almighty God and say, God, you offended me. You did not answer my prayer at the right time. You took away my mother. You took away my father. You did X, you did Y, you did this and you did that. And at the end of the day, they become so angry at the Almighty God. They are offended. The Bible says, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended by me. When you don't know how to thank God, how to praise God, how to appreciate God, you are going to be offended by the word of God. And then finally, when praise is absent in the life of an individual, hopelessness will dwell in the heart of that person. Because you can't see anything that God has done for you. You can't see the blessings of God in your life. Interesting thing is that a lot of these people who complain, who whine and who murmur against the Almighty God and say that God has not done anything for them, these same people are still breathing. Just take away the breath and then see whether you can complain. That is one thing that God has done for you. You notice anytime we pray here, we say, Lord, it's not because we are qualified. It's not because we are anything. It's not because we are more righteous. It is the mercy of the Almighty God. There are people in the hospital right now who have been fed through the tube. There are many who are sitting down in jail. There are many who have lost their income. You are listening right now because of the grace of God upon your life. That is enough reason to praise Him. That is enough reason to say, Lord, I thank you. Because you could have been one of those people. And the interesting thing is that many of those people, many of them are prayer people. Many of them are nice people. Many of them are even believers. But for some reason, those things happened. I may not be able to explain why, but the fact that we are here today, the fact that we can fellowship together, the fact that we can enjoy each other's company, enjoy the presence of the Almighty God, that is enough reason to give Him praise. So when praise is absent in the heart of an individual, it means that individual lacks appreciation and hopelessness will find its way easily in the life of that person. These are the things that happen to the life of the people whose lives are devoid of praise. And if you don't want that to be a part of your life, if you don't want hopelessness, if you don't want life of anxiety, a life of depression, a life of murmuring, a life of complaint, it is important for us to remind ourselves to make praise a part of our lifestyle. Now for us as believers, praise has its benefits. When you praise God, it has its own benefit. And what are those benefits? Number one, the benefit of praising God is that praising God provokes divine presence. Praising the Almighty God has a way of bringing the presence of the Almighty God into your life. Is it that holy? O thou that inhabit the praise of Israel. When you praise him, you bring his presence. And like I said earlier, when the presence of your mighty God is with you, there is nothing that can stand against you. That's why the Bible says, if God is with us, who can be against us? That is what praise does for you. And I tell people, when you're having difficulty, when you find it difficult to pray, just take some time to worship the Lord. Because that is the only thing that you do when you're ministering to God. 
Many of us do a lot of praying and praying. But one of the keys that allows prayer to be answered is the key of praise. When you worship him in spite of the situation that you're going through, it provokes divine presence. And when you enjoy divine presence, things begin to happen in your life. Number two, the benefit of praising God is that it provokes divine revelation. There is always the move of the Spirit of God in our midst when we praise the Almighty God. Number three, when you are praising God, the benefit is divine promotion. Habakkuk chapter three, reading from verse number 17, the Bible says, Yet I will praise the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength and he will make my feet like a hind's feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places. As you praise him, he elevates you. As you praise him, he lifts you up. As you praise him, he promotes you. Because that is the whole point. He moves you to the next level when you praise him. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.